Coming up on episode 77 of In the Front Row with Mike DeCaro, we sit down with World Series champion manager Joe Madden. Different world, boys and girls. It's a different world, man. Madden shares his journey with us, tells us about that championship in 2016 with the Chicago Cubs and what it's like when he goes back to Chicago now. The thing about Chicago fans, they don't want an autograph, they don't want a picture, they just want to say thank you. He'll also give us his take on Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, and some other players he's had the privilege to manage. We're aggressive, we're fast, we're young, we have power. And he'll tell us about his book and podcast he has now with Tom Verducci. Listen to the podcast, you're listening to the book pretty much. All that and more, episode 77, featuring World Series champion manager Joe Madden. What do you have to stop playing and start coaching? First of all, appreciate your time, and, and, and I know we had some technical issues in joining us for a second time here, but uh, uh, I appreciate your time. I want to hear your story, and and for you, similar backgrounds as far as where we're from. You're, you're from Hazleton, Pennsylvania, as I am as well. Uh, grew up a little bit different time. What was that time in Hazleton for you, which was, you know, at that time, very blue-collar type of community and a melting pot type of community as well? It was the best. I've often, I, I think I put it in my book also, the book of Joe. And I just want to mention, we do have the book of Joe podcast to me and Tom Berducci. I keep getting accused of not saying that enough. So I want to put it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I grew up um, on 11th street in Hazleton and um, my dad was a plumber. My mom worked at my uncle's restaurant, their base luncheonette. Uh, it was, it was the best because everybody raised you. Uh, and it, and it's true. I mean, of course your parents, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, Coaches, teachers, friends, they all had the right to uh, discipline you. Uh, it was bestowed upon them to be able to do that if, in fact, you got sideways a little bit. I've always felt safe, uh, always felt supported. All the things that you want as a kid that I don't think uh, we understand well enough these days, um, all you want to do is feel safe and, and supported. I think when, if you have that going on, you pretty much do anything you want. I, I, you can achieve anything you like at that point. So I think that was a big part of my the culture here. How about sports? How were big were, were sports, you know, growing up in Hazleton? Everything. Um, well, you know, I played I played the three, the big three, uh, football, baseball, basketball, in the appropriate seasons. Started when I was uh, six playing junior little league. I started when I was 10 playing midget football. And of course, the little leagues, the, the teeners, all that stuff. I played basketball at a lady of grace starting in eighth grade. Didn't play basketball in high school. I just it started bothering my legs too much, so I just went baseball, uh, football, then baseball. Uh, but it was great, and, and a part of that uh, that people don't, I think, re again, recognize enough is the different coaches, different methods, uh, different methods of training that were employed, and you have to adapt and adjust. And um, some guys were tougher, some guys were more lenient, some guys were better communicators, some were just more, just didn't want to communicate and just said run, you know, that kind of thing. So. Uh, yeah, it was a uh, diverse, just like the city was. Um, we didn't have we, we diverse in a sense was European, uh, you know, all over uh, whether the Pollock section, the Italians. We didn't have any blacks. We didn't. We had one black kid, uh, Greg Palmer, great great entertainer, and then we had no Hispanics really at that time. It was a different setup, but uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, we got along really well, and uh, it was absolute fun to grow up here early coaches that you had growing up? Did they have an influence as you, as you became a manager and, and did your own coaching? Yeah, it started with the midget football coaches, Richie Rabbits and Jack Sywell. They were tough. They were really tough. Um, when you're 10 practicing football every day and then playing on Sundays at Harmon Geist, uh, you know, it was like a six or seven, I think it was a six game schedule. Maybe it might've been eight. I think it was six. 
but that's a pretty good commitment from the time he starts school until the middle of what, October. Uh, every day, a uh, playbook to be learned, how to be on time, how to play hard, had to uh, be a teammate, all those different things. But the thing I, I think I learned was toughness from these guys. Um, and that, again, cannot be underestimated. Um, you got your butt kicked a lot, and there was nobody there to uh, sympathize with you. You just had to get up. So it started with them, and then eventually, um, you know, Coach Morgan in high school baseball was really um, uh, an interesting man and a great communicator. Coach Adam Siminski, also the football coach, another uh, taskmaster. I mean, this guy was tough, too. Play for Duffy Darty at Michigan State, breached them with the Green Bay Packers. That equals tough. <laughs> and then probably one of the most influential coaches, two of them were at Lafayette, um, a freshman football coach, backfield coach, Coach Bob Root, uh, taught me to teach and coach through communication and not intimidation. And then Norm Gigon, the baseball coach there, converted me to catcher um, my freshman year. And had he not done that, I do not know. I probably would not have had a chance to play professional baseball, I don't think. So that was a big moment. And Gig was really good. He was uh, an infielder, played with the Cubs briefly in the big leagues. Um, again, tough. I've had a lot of tough coaches. And I, you know, I really appreciate that. So, yeah, those are those – are, and then, of course, um, by the time I got to pro ball, Bob Clear was my mentor at the Angels. Bob Clear was a lifer. Uh, was a Brent Rickey guy, Pirates, then um, with the Angels, 10 years in the big leagues as a coach, and he wanted out because he wanted to go back to the minor leagues and teach. That's how Bob Lou was. So I could go on and on, man. I've been very fortunate. I've had I've been around some really great coaches and mentors, people that uh, all different styles, all had the same thing in mind. It's about winning, and I learned a lot from these people. As you said, you went to Lafayette in Eastern mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. Then you went to the uh, free agent as a catcher with the, the Angels. Be, being a catcher, and it seems like catchers have great successes as, as managers as well. Was that a plus to, to see the game from that side? And, and then later on in your managerial career to have that experience? Yeah, you, you see the whole game. Everybody else just sees you like when you're looking out on the game. And the, and the advantage also is that uh, you get to work with pitchers. And as a manager, coach, whatever – you want to manage you have to really understand pitchers and how to deal with that and how to work that catching catching really helped me a lot i had a, a great success with my pitching staffs and they all wanted to throw to me they used to tell me i want to throw to you which is the highest compliment a catcher can receive you can't achieve that status unless you put them first in your offense second uh, when you when you're a defensively minded catcher first your pitchers want you out there so that's, that's it. And then, of course, strategy, looking out there, watching the positioning, watching how people react and move. Now you're calling pitches. You're still being a quarterback or a middle linebacker because you're on defense. Um, it's it's really interesting, man. It's, it's, a, it's a tough spot. You get, you, know, you get hit a lot. Um, you're always playing with something bothering you. And, again, it's not unlike being a quarterback or a middle linebacker in football that you're always, even as a kid, I mean, to go out there and play a game and feel completely well, you just don't. That just doesn't happen. Uh, and so there's, again, I, I guess I'm coming back to the word toughness a lot. If there's anything that I really appreciate about growing up here also is the fact that uh, nobody made it easy. Uh, you had to earn everything you got. Uh, it was even my mom. My mom, you know, Beanie, Beanie wasn't, uh, if you're looking for sympathy from her, you weren't going to get that either. So uh, it was, it was, it was great. It was great. That's the way it should be. And I was very, I'm very fortunate I grew up here. Well, it was a tough road, too, for you because, you know, I'm sure you had hopes, aspirations getting to Major League Baseball. That didn't happen as a, a player. Right. When did you come to that realization that it wasn't going to happen there and, and you know, you had to maybe get there 
in a different way. Yeah, I mean, even uh, uh, I'll just I'll chronic, chronicle this very quickly. Playing in Boulder, we were playing the national championship uh, series in Wichita. Uh, would have been my junior year in, in college. And it's in August, whatever. We win it. and But anyway, so many strikes out. And I said, as opposed to getting up and throwing it to the third baseman, I just reached around him and then boom. And I got a pop right here on my shoulder. Now, I got through it, but that was the beginning of uh, my shoulder bothering me. So just one moment like that. Um, so uh, that was it, that. And then I'm playing in with the Angels in Salinas, and I'm in Visalia. And one of the best guys that ever lived, uh, Lloyd Christopher, Love this man. I hit a home run the night before. He comes up to me and, you know, during batting practice the next day and says to me, when are you going to stop playing and start coaching? I'm like 23 or 24. I said, I said certain things to Lloyd. I, I didn't hold back. <laughs> I didn't like that. Um, but that was the impression that people had gotten about me even back then that I, I might be more suited for the other side. So eventually then I may listen between playing football as you're 10, the fact that back then I, I really believe that, we were not permitted to have water, like even in the August practices, the two-a-days here. I pulled muscles easily, and I think it really started there. So my body started breaking down even at 25, 26. It, was, it hurt. Um, so it was a combination of Lloyd talking to me, uh, really pulling muscles constantly, the arms just aching. And um, so that was it. I mean, then I realized I could be old as a player or extremely young bonus baby as a coach, and that's what I decided to do. Yeah, 1979. So that you played for the Angels in their organization, and then you started to coach and, and become a manager with them as well. Start a long run yep. with the Angels as well. Do you, do you? Obviously, it didn't end well last year for you with the Angels, right. but do you give them a lot of credit for for you know how your career has kind of played out? Oh, you know the California Angels is who I am. I'm a California Angel. I'm really I was disappointed when uh, Artie bought the team that he didn't turn it back into that. He asked me that in spring training in 2000 and three i think when he took over the team he says what do you think we should call a team i i thought it was a foregone conclusion we'd go back to being the california angels he said no the los angeles angels said, wow. so we are we are california angels and i always identify with that um very proud of that um learned so much there and when you when you talk about the organization itself it's different now uh baseball is not run the way it had been run before it was really baseball folks back then mr autry wasn't but was Mr. Rashi was like such a wonderful owner. He would just show up in a complete cowboy outfit and walk through the clubhouse and say, how are we doing, boys? Go get them today, boys. That kind of a conversation. And then, of course, you had uh, general managers and managers and uh, coaches with tons of experience, tons. And um, so you were raised differently. You were, you were raised in the game differently. Uh, I would love to see a little bit of a resurgence of that method as opposed to all data data and analytics, which I totally believe has a place in the game, but not the place that it uh, presently occupies being more important necessarily than, than just tried and true. I, we need to recreate a balance with all that, but the old angel organization, the California angels, I was a California angel, and I love that. That I will always love. Yeah, you won a World Series, you know, on the staff there, three stints as an interim manager as well. Uh, you know, what, what was the biggest thing that you learned in those interim stints? And, you know, at some point, did you think that, okay, am I ever going to get that full-time job? You learn to be yourself. You learn that um, you're tried and true, stay with them. Things you believe in, that's what you have to bring forth. If you try to parrot or replicate somebody else constantly and don't have your own, your own method, it's not going to work. You will wash out. 
there's no passion involved in uh, trying to like, again replicate somebody else. It's it just doesn't exist. You have to have your passion for your job. You have to know your job. You don't again. It's not uh, memorizing stuff. You have to know stuff, and that's that was the beauty of how I was raised. I was raised um, uh, starting like I said. Uh, I was a player 76, and I'll tell you what, we were like the top minor league organization of the year 76 and 7. It might even be 78. Mr. Tom Summers was running it. We were loaded. We were packed. Um, every every position, it was absolutely loaded. And we, you got through that. Then you get into the um, into the 80s and, and 81 and become a coach and a manager. And again, I have all these wonderful mentors. Wow. I mean, like, a who's who? of coaches and I'm surrounded by that. I mean, on, on other teams. And then I start running the instructional league and I'm running the instructional league when I was like, I don't know, 28, 29, 30, something like that. And that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Instructional league meant something back then. And I wish it would, that's another thing I wish we'd come back to you. The quality of the game right now lacks a lot of uh, fundamentals, base running, all this stuff, because it basically it's not being taught. Back then it was an absolute, wow. Um, daily grind to get these concepts um uh out there to your players and then playing them against these other organizations including the tokyo giants which i love playing the tokyo giants their manager sudo-san is still a friend of mine those games were one nothing two one three two they were absolutely uh again tough tough-minded grinding kind of games in the arizona heat so i could go on and on about this but that's how i was raised in this game kind of like how i was raised here uh no shortcuts not easy uh, a daily grind all day, you know, nobody can, don't complain. Nobody's going to be listening. And that's, that was my um, uh, California angel uh, time. And it was, it was wonderful. Did you think you would get the, the head job at that point? Yeah, I thought eventually I could, I, but I knew I had to become a major league coach first. So that was my aspirations was to go from that player to minor league coach, manager, instructor, coordinator, uh, to get a job as a major league manager, a coach, then manager. And I, at that time, the pecking order existed. You had to work your way through. Right now, a lot of people are just appointed. Um, you know, it's almost you know, weirdly, it's just like if you have like some kind of a broadcasting experience, it qualifies you now. Um, I've actually advised guys that are there right now, managers uh, prior to getting their jobs. Uh, why don't you ask an organization if you could go scout a territory for a bit, at least, at least one, maybe two drafts. Mm-hmm. And go ask them if, they, if you could do rookie ball, at least for one or two years. Because it's different. That's where you learn. And that's how you learn to evaluate. Evaluation is such a big part of this. I think the, the groups, obviously, that are doing well, that do well consistently, evaluate well. And you have to evaluate not only through data and information. You have to uh, evaluate with your eyeballs. You have to have people that see things. And that's what I was taught to do. I was taught to see things. And all this stuff uh, conspires to really uh, – make you good at what you do. So yeah, I wanted to uh, be a manager, but I knew I had to be a coach first because um, having never played in the big leagues, it's different. It's exactly the same, but it's completely different. 60 feet, six inches, 90 feet. Fences are pretty much the same, but the day cannot feel any more different than it does when you first arrive there. The key is to <clears throat> get your mind, get your feet on the ground, literally, but you get your mind there too. And that's what takes time to make the mental adjustments, uh, being in a fishbowl every day and still being able to be yourself. Yeah, you, you certainly <clears throat> took the steps needed to get to where you wanted to be. And, and that eventually came in 2006 with, with Tampa Bay. 
Why was that a good fit for you? It was still a relatively young organization at that time, not a whole lot of success. So, so why in your mind, okay, I want to be a manager in major league baseball. <sighs> this is where it's going to happen for the first time. Well, if I had not gotten that job, I would have been uh, disappointed. I wasn't disappointed when I didn't get the angel job originally. I wasn't disappointed with the um, interview with the Red Sox or the Diamondbacks or the Mariners. Those are my interviews. Not disappointed. Would have been the Rays are perfect for me because in my mind, there was still an expansion team. They had not really been successful at all. I thought they were a blank canvas. Uh, when I went to uh, Houston for the interview with um, Andrew Friedman and Matt Silverman, uh, when I met these two guys, young guys, but I liked them because we did think alike. And a lot of it had to do with information and data and where this was going to take you. Uh, and beyond that, they appreciated my organizational skills. I'd broken down the organization and uh, gave them specific ideas, what I thought how to do this. So um, that would have been disappointing. They were perfect for me. The, the Rays were perfect for me. Uh, you could still see their success today. Uh, they do things properly and well. They're not out there just trying to spend money and acquire big names. They look under the hood. Uh, they find out, uh, they figure out uh, certain players before they become household names. That was my big thing is that you, to really be great on that level where you don't have a lot of money to spend, you have to figure out the household name before it becomes a household name. And that's what they did, and they still do that well. And just a couple of years, 2008, you had them in the World Series. I mean, was was in your mind – was that the timetable that you thought, or were you exceeding your expectations, your own expectations? Yeah, I, I mean, I was pretty quick. I mean, because if you look at the first season, it was over 100 losses. The second season was almost 100 losses, and I had a two-year deal. And they had to pick up a two-year option, not just uh, one more year. So they did. I was like late in the season. They told me that, you know, they're going to pick up my option. And then that was the difference maker, obviously. And then that winter, we went from being the devil race to the race. We acquired some, um, uh, you know, much better players. That's the big thing about like all the stuff that goes on right now. Again, it comes down to evaluation. Andrew Friedman is outstanding at that. Even back then, I've always used to tell Andrew, you're a good scout. You're a good scout. Uh, we, we really did see uh, players in a similar fashion. So, uh, yeah, we uh, became the Rays. We got Percy. We got Cliff Floyd. We got Eric Kinski. Longo was ascending. It was coming up. And then, um, uh, uh, we got uh, a couple guys from the Twins, uh, Jason Bartlett and um, Matt Garza. We, we just became a different ball club in a matter of months, and that was a big part of it. Plus, our culture was established. We had we had leadership in the clubhouse. We had a method of play. We were aggressive. We were fast. We were young. We had power. Played some serious defense, too. It was just, wow. That was it. And then, uh, you know, the next year was okay. A little bit of a hangover, but then in 2010, we win the AL East pennant again. So, um, yeah, it started with that. Um, I had a lot of latitude back then, and it was a great uh, collaboration uh, with me and the coaching staff in the front office with Andrew. And uh, to this day, I think they still have that. I, I, Kevin Cash has done a great job. Eric Neander is uh, spearheading the whole organization, and he's outstanding. Yeah, you were the AL manager of the year that year. Did you feel like you, you had arrived? that again, all the time climbing that ladder started to pay off maybe in 2008 and beyond there with Tampa Bay. Well, you had to, you had to uh, defend yourself a lot when you lose hundred games. Uh, you're playing defense constantly. Post game, you're playing defense. You're playing defense with the press. You're playing defense. You're playing defense everywhere. You cannot speak enough. You have no one, not one offensive thought, meaning that, you know, praising or happy or joyful about how well you're playing. 
And then, yeah, it, it, um, to do it in a third year, you know, you could see maybe possibly getting to the playoffs in the third year, but to do what we did in that third year, going all the way to the Phillies and the world series. Listen, that is, that is as crazy as it gets. And, um, I know people talk about it, but I don't know if they give it enough credit, uh, the way that thing turned around so fast and so well. And basically that's the, that's the foundation that, by which they're, they're supported right now is that year and those players and that off front office. So, uh, I can't tell you that I thought it was going to happen that quickly, but I thought it would happen. So things going well there, but in 2014, after that season, you, you opt out and yeah. eventually go to the, the Cubs. Why, why make that change? It seemed like things were working there. Obviously it worked out in the Cubs, but, but why in your mind was that a time to, to make that change? Well, that just opened up because Andrew left for the Dodgers and I was really willing and wanting to stay there. It was just a matter of quite frankly, contract uh, money at that time. I'm, I'll be 60 years old, I think, at that point, or 61. And for me, it was about security for me and my family. So it was um, you settle and you go back or, um, you know, I did try to negotiate with the Rays and try to get a couple more bucks and it just didn't want to play out that way. Then the Cubs come in with this fabulous offer. And then, um, man, I, I honestly, I can't tell you that I knew how it felt traditionally with the Cubs at that time. I'd never been to Wrigley Field. I was to Wrigley that one time in 14 and I thought this was great uh, but I get there and I was so fortunate we made I made those decisions Wrigley Field Chicago Cubs is the major leagues of the major leagues when you when you work there and you play there every day is a fraternity party man that place goes nuts and the city itself I was so easily identifiable for me because the people that were very much like the people over the hill right here and from Sugarloaf to Hazleton I I just went back there for a week and did uh, uh, an event and some charity golf and uh, had an absolute blast. We had a, an event the one night on a, a Thursday night, Thursday night in a neighborhood, neighborhood, 400 people in the guy's backyard. And that's a Cub fan. That's Cubs. So uh, different world, boys and girls. It's a different world, man. If you get a chance to work for the Chicago Cubs, give it a go. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, you know, you're not paying for dinner when you go to Chicago these days for, for what you did there, right? For, you know, first of all, in 2015, your first year, you brought them back to the playoffs. I mean, at, at that point, you know, there was that drought. Uh, I mean, it must have been like a godsend for you to be there for the fans, like you said, to, to really buy into what you were doing. Yeah, that 20 the 2015 might have been more unbelievable than the 2008 um, because I had not been there yet. Um, those, if you look at the roster for that year, there's a lot of people that you've never heard of before on that roster. Um, one of the big things we did, we moved, um, Addison Russell, the shortstop and got Starlin Castro to second, uh, guys got better as the year progressed, which I, which I always look as a benchmark for what you want to have happen. And then, yeah, it was just, uh, it was, it was just, it was amazing. Uh, the Mets were just so on fire. I, that was like the most perfect four game series that teams ever played against another team. And Daniel Murphy, I'm still in touch with Daniel goes off against this and their pitching was unbelievable. But to go from where they had been prior to that, mm. to go almost to the, to the precipice of a world series in 2015, come on. And then of course it happened in 16 and it could have happened again in 17. So it was a, it was a wonderful run. Um, love the place, love the people of the city. The city really turns me on. I love the city of Chicago. 
Well, again, as you said, you got him back to the playoffs 2015, 2016. You were one of the favorites to win the World Series. Yeah. You, you know, mm-hmm. did that put pressure on you, pressure on that organization when you hadn't won in over 100 years? Well, I recognize that. And that's why I'm in the winter meetings. Can't remember where they were at, but I'm sitting there. You have a, a big scrum with all the reporters. You got to sit there and they all ask you a bunch of questions. And uh, I don't even know why I said it, but I said I might have been thinking about it. But when they asked me that question, I said, we need to embrace the target. We need to run toward the word expectations. We need to run run toward the word pressure. And quite frankly, I like it. So that's a narrative I, I created there. And I, I don't know to what extent the players bought into it. I mean, KB loved never permit the pressure to exceed the pleasure. I know KB loved that. So all these different little thoughts that you could put in somebody's head seem insignificant, but in a, in a, in a hot moment, if it could draw you back in, it definitely has a chance to work. So embrace the target, run toward expectations, run toward um, the word pressure. And if you do that, you have a pretty good chance of being successful. And after all, if you want to win a world series, you better like those two words. Take us through the emotions, the feeling when you see that last out, that ground ball, Caught at first base, it's an out. World Series is the Cubs' first time in 108 years. What kind of emotions go through your mind? Well, the first thought I had was 108, exactly. I just thought 108. When the moment hit Riz's glove, 108. Wow. And then after that, you just you think about your pop. You know, my dad was big to me, my family. Um, but primarily, I, I thought 108, it's weird how many things you could think about in a nanosecond about the, 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 the Cubs, the Cubs fans your family, um, all this other stuff really comes roaring from all the different corners of your mind. And then um, uh, and then all of a sudden here comes a parade, <laughs> a parade, right? Um, and everything else that uh, transpired after that was so special. It's a once in a lifetime moment. So, I mean, that it may be like what, three lifetimes almost from 108 years, uh, whatever it was, um, 108 years. So, yeah, it's indescribable. It's indescribable. Um, but I did. 108 was my first thought. Had you heard from a lot of fans who lived and died with the Cubs? Oh, God. And, and again, oh, God. you know, their their parents had never seen this and, and so on and so forth. All the time. I mean, if I walk around Chicago, I get it, you know, on the streets. But the thing about beautiful thing about Chicago fans, they don't want an autograph. They don't want a picture. They just want to say thank you. They do. They come up and they shake your hand. Thank you. Do you have a... Just, could I have a minute? Just want to say thank you. Just like you said for my uh, my deceased parents or grandparents. And a lot of them, they cry. They literally cry. That's how important it was to these folks. Um, yeah, like I said, when I walked in the door, I didn't realize the magnitude of all of that. Uh, maybe that's a good thing. But once you get once you get absorbed in it, it's there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. We played a makeup game against the Cleveland Indians on a Monday at one o'clock. Monday makeup game wasn't on the schedule. Forty thousand people doesn't happen. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, the fan base there, and again, starving for 108 years. And and for you again, you, you get to that championship and you do it in that organization. How do you move on from that? Uh, I guess you know because again, you get that taste, you get that emotion. I'm sure you 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 continue to want the feelings that you had winning that World Series. Of course, um, came close. I said the next year, uh, and then in '18 we just had a we got banged up and things just didn't work out. And then '19 they pulled the plug. Uh, yeah, I honestly believe we should have been together longer than that. There's no question. Um, uh, it's hard to imagine why uh, they would want to blow it up at that point. Um, the players are still young. 
I, part of it is just payment. You know, they don't want to pay a lot of young players that would could get. Look what Javi got, look what KB got, look what Rizzo got. Uh, look at all these guys, what they got. Johnny Lester was going away, and I love Johnny Lester. Johnny Lester is a big game pitcher, man. He's that good. And Jake, all these guys, it was just, uh, you know, it's just the way the world works. I mean, you get to that point, and uh, they decided to blow it up. They uh, they liked the, the idea of a uh, rebuild. So uh, that's it. I mean, truly, that's it. Um, I wanted to stay longer. I would have stayed longer. Um, I, that was five. I thought at least seven or eight would have given us a chance at another one. Uh, but I never got that opportunity. So the angels come calling uh, again, an organization that you spent so many years in uh, why go back there? And, and it was a tough time, obviously 2020 with COVID as well. It oh. didn't make it an easy transition on, on you. I'm sure. Yeah. COVID was not good for anybody, obviously, and especially in the real world and in the sports world. Um, I wanted to go back because that was home. That was the California angels to me. Right. And uh, they had been struggling. Perfect. It's perfect setup for me. Absolutely. Perfect. And like you said, 2020 really did inhibit a lot of that. But when I got there, I realized there's a lot of built-ins there that needed to be changed. Uh, 2021, we get a new GM, uh, Perry, who I really liked. And uh, we, we struggled, struggled, but we had, you know, the, the record that that team concluded with was pretty spectacular uh, without the, the bullpen. We, the, we didn't have a lot of things. But we still almost had a 500 record, pretty close. And then the, the, the last year, last year, that's just uh, – Truly caught me by surprise. We had a losing streak. It happens to everybody. Look at this. It's happening in Texas right now. And so the I thought that was unreasonable, quite frankly. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. And uh, I wanted to stay. I, that, I wanted to be part of the rebuilding of the Angels. I did. That's because, like I said, that's who I am. Uh, it was disappointing. Um, uh, and that's it. Whatever. Uh, so uh, moving forward, uh, if I could run into a group or somebody that really uh, – wants my services and it doesn't have to be a manager. It could be a lot of different things in an organization. I absolutely would listen. Um, otherwise, if not, I'm just going to continue to uh, uh, play as much golf as possible here at the Valley Country Club. Uh, be around my mom. Mom's up on the top of the hill and uh, enjoy this existence. Yeah. You and I talked the other day, you know, first time without baseball in the summer since 1979 for you. I mean, you're enjoying the golf, yes, but are, are you torn a little bit? Are you still watching the game, obviously, and 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 are you being pulled to that game still? Yeah, I I, I gave I, I wasn't at first. I didn't watch it all when I got home last year. I was not interested at all. But then I'm, I've been involved now with Tommy Verducci and I are doing the podcast, the Book of Joe podcast, and now I'm doing a weekly gig on MLB Network with Brian Kenny, which is going to morph into something more detailed. Nice. We get to the playoffs. It's going to be like a three time a weeker uh, playoffs. It's going to include also a byline uh, study or um, um, what you say, post-mortem. I think they want me to do it after. I don't know if it's before or after each year. It's probably before. But I got all, I mean, October's going to be busy for me. Um, so I like that. Um, I've been connected in that way. Like, just like we're talking right now, I feel really good about it because I've been like in practice. I've been taking batting practice, <laughs> taking verbal batting practice. So I like the idea. I like Brian Kenny a lot. So um, I'm curious. I'm interested. Um, you know, I've had offers to do more television. I just, um, uh, I'm like right now I'm talking to you right from my backyard right here. It's kind of cool. So uh, again, it has to be, um, you have to want to work with somebody. You have to share philosophy. You have to, uh, you have to have each other's backs to really want to, to be somewhere else. So these are the kind of things I'm going to consider moving forward. I'm sure people come calling, not that you're going to name anybody, but I'm sure you, you still have to be somebody that 
people are interested in having at some point. Are you having some conversations, you know, as the season progresses or, or will you after the season, you think? It's been minimal, quite frankly. It's not been a lot. Um, I, I, this, this off season will be the uh, litmus test, you know, regarding if there's interest or not. And so I'll be able to understand and evaluate what's going on. Now, I think, you know, the, the fact that um, the analytical world's taken a little bit of a hit right now helps a lot, I think, but maybe again, maybe not. I'm outspoken with all this stuff, as you know, so I don't know, you need, like I said, you need the right dance partner. Uh, if that partner shows up, man, I'll, they will get everything I got, always do. And if they don't, uh, when working on a new grip, I'm now using the little jack head tilt before I swing my club, which really is keeping me behind the ball. Hit some really good drives yesterday. That's been my biggest uh, problem is getting off the tee. So that'll become better. Obviously, in the news of baseball lately, Shohei Otani is a, a big topic, as you know, as you had a chance to, to be his manager with the Angels. Let's, let's start with the type of player that he is and, you know, what he can do pitching, hitting, and, and just the type of, you know, what he's bringing to the game of Major League Baseball. What, was it a challenge because of that to, to, to be his manager or was that a, a easy to be his manager? Oh, it's very easy. It's very easy to be his manager. He's a, he's a wonderful young man. He um easy to communicate with. He has a great interpreter, a fellow by the name of Ipe. Ipe and I got along great. We all got along great. Um, so no, this, there's nothing difficult about Shohei. It's just unfortunate what happened to him. And now there's all this uh, controversy regarding this offseason, what this is going to mean for him. But you also understand what it means for the industry. I mean, he's great for me. Not even, that's, a, that's an understatement. Um, as a baseball player, what he's done, the interest he stirs up at crates and how well he handles it. That's you're going to see that for a long, long time, if ever again. So I'm wishing him well. I know he's continuing to hit. I, I don't know if that's the right thing to do right now because of uh, him having to come back next year and, and then the year after that. But uh, they know more than I do regarding all this uh, stuff medically. Uh, but I like the man a lot, and I wish him nothing but the best. Obviously, his talents kind of overshadow a very good player in Mike Trout as well. What's your take on Mike Trout? Because this is a guy who, again, you know, Great talent. It just seems like he's injury prone rate lately and uh, just hit with that injury bug quite a bit recently. Yeah, it's not easy for Mike. Michael's a good, good people. Um, we and I, he and I got along well. It's just, you're right. I mean, just uh, physically as talented as anybody you're going to see on the field. He's a big man. I mean, he's a big man. He could, put, he could put him in Eagles backfield right tomorrow. I mean, that's what he might end up doing. Who knows? He's fast. He's big. He's strong. Um, he competes. He's, uh, his uh, work ethic is outstanding. All the, all the right things are in, in place, but it's just the body, when the body gets hurt, man, and this is, a, you know, the hand with the hook and hammy bone and all the crazy stuff. The other, the, the one time when I was there, the, my first full year after COVID, he was sending his helmet to Brian Butterfield, walking from second to third and blew out his calf. I mean, I, you know, like stuff like that. How does that happen? And that was pretty much half of the season right there. So, um, I have not had the benefit or the opportunity to work with him as often as I would have liked to, uh, but I really enjoyed my conversations. Two of the best guys you've had a chance to manage. Are there other guys that you look at that, that uh, again, they, they were talents, but also pleasures to just be their manager? Oh, yeah. I mean, these guys, those two guys, probably talent-wise, the top of the list. There's no question you have to. Oh, show he's at the top of everybody's list and not just mine and the same with 
Trouty, but other guys, you know, go back to my angel days. I mean, if you go back to the minor leagues, I raised like Gary D. Sarcina and Garrett Anderson and Timmy Salmon, um, Damian Easley, uh, Percy, Troy Percival. All these dudes were part of uh, the developmental system with the angels back then. Pauly Sorrento, uh, oh, <laughs> Dante Bichette. I could go on and on. Uh, and then as a major league manager, you know, long ago with the Rays, um, BJ Upton, I love Carl Crawford, a uh, really good baseball player. Um, I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of really good guys and a lot of, we've had a lot of success. I mean, we won, we won everywhere. I didn't get a chance to win in, in, with the angels, but the, that just was cut short. I don't, don't really count that. I, we needed a little bit more time there, but what we did with the Rays and the Cubs is pretty spectacular. If your managerial career is ends now, if it's mm -hmm. over, I mean, Look at over 1,300 wins, eight postseason appearances, obviously the World Series with, with the Cubs as well. Would you be good walking away with, with some of those numbers? Three-time you know, manager of the year in, in both leagues, a, a rarity as well. Would you be fine kind of walking away, or do you, or is there something still missing out there for you? Well, the missing part, I think, would be the opportunity to work in the front office, if there is one. You know, that would be it. I think that'd be kind of interesting. But like I've talked to a couple of guys and they said, yeah, I'd like to, I would think that'd be interesting, but it'd have to be an opportunity to work in an office with um, some clout, not just to be there as a figurehead in any way, not to have an office. And then you just get uh, courtesy questions. I don't want that. So if there's some kind of uh, teeth behind it to be interesting, if not, if I don't get to manage again, it's, I, I, I'm not saying, I, yes, I would like to, if I don't, it's not going to be by any means, the end of the world. I'm pretty good at moving on. I'm really good at moving on. Um, I compartmentalize well. Um, I have varied interests. So if something stops working and kind of loose interest, I will find something else. Well, being an author, you've had some good interest and some good results as well. Uh, to 2019, Try Not to Suck. And then your, your most recent book last fall, The Book of Joe, as you said, you've turned into a podcast with Tom Verducci who wrote the book with you as well. Uh, what else can we find in the, those books and, and and maybe learn more about you if folks uh, haven't had those books or, or want to listen to the podcast as well? Well, the podcast is really good. I I mean that. Um, Tommy's so good, Verducci. Like we just did one yesterday that I really liked a lot. Um, and it was a lot of it was about, um, it's always about Shohei, but there's a lot of it about analytics and where it's going and talked a lot about the Yankees and um, what's going on there. But, just about the industry in general and, and not walking away from any questions and just trying to be not trying just being as honest, being honest uh, about my take. This is my opinion, as well as Tommy's. Uh, we're kind of like uh, uh, kindred spirits with a lot of different things, although he will, uh, of course, always uh, at times um, our, our opinions will uh, alter a little bit or, or diverge. But that's good. And I, I love that kind of stuff. So I thought yesterday's uh, podcast, we did, I just posted on my Twitter account. I think we have 50 some now already. And that's just if you have a, a time, just go back. And if you listen to the podcast, you're listening to the book pretty much, you know, and it's, it's all that you can still buy the book. I think the paperback's out right now. Um, we have a book on tape. It's a, on tape. It's people that have, uh, I can't remember the fellow's name, but the people book on tape have really enjoyed that too. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting concept. I recorded over hundred hours for that book while riding a bike in Mesa, Arizona during the pandemic. Uh, got a great suntan, lost about 10 pounds. It was awesome. So uh, uh, all this stuff uh, is conspiring to come together. But again, if you're interested at all, find the podcast. Um, 
we've had some really good guests. We had Tom House on recently, uh, as well as others. We had, had Riz earlier this year, Jason Hayward earlier this year. Uh, we had uh, uh, Sean Purdy, Brock Purdy's dad. Uh, oh, nice. Sean, Sean Purdy was a minor league ma uh, pitcher when I was uh, the organization. So we thought it'd be interesting to hear uh, NFL QB's dad speak about what it's like. And then, of course, Brock got hurt. So anyway, it's pretty cool. Uh, so check it out. Yeah, we've had Tom House on our show as well. And uh, so I know having guests and having some good guests is, is always a plus. Yeah. So again, the, the Book of Joe podcast with you and Tom Berducci. Uh, I want to go back to Hazleton for a moment because, again, you're living back in the area, but you've been back involved with Hazleton with the Hazleton Integration Project. Tell me about that. Tell me why, you know, it was important for you to to give back to the community that that helped raise you. Just look at the, uh, the state of uh, the United States right now. Look what's going on in New York City. Look at this unbelievable influx of uh, immigrants into the into the city and all the concern and the problems and the cost that's going on. Um, we recognized that early here in the city, and we thought um, uh, this group of people, I'm not saying it's necessarily about New York City, but this group of people is coming to Hazleton pretty much to save the city. Everybody was moving out. Nobody was moving in. Um, we needed an influx of youth, and we needed uh, people that wanted to work and uh, build the city back up. So that's pretty much what's been happening. We wanted to assimilate the cultures. The HIP project, Hazleton Integration Project has been this huge success. We gained national attention. Uh, we recently won some really uh, significant grants that helps improve our infrastructure, as well as being able to um, salary-wise hire more people because the, uh, the demand is so high. Uh, so yeah, we're we're doing all that. It's it's academic, it's athletic, it's culinary. It's the we have a great steam room. It's uh, science, technology, education. We included arts with math, so we call it our steam room. We just got a nice um, helping hand from a local, which I remember the company, but other our furniture in the uh, in the steam room. We got it a significant discount because this gentleman came to the campus, came to our room, came to our building and was so impressed with our operation that uh, again significantly helped us out so that's what's going on there every day if you're ever interested come down to the Hazleton Integration Project Hazleton Community Center it's on Ford Street it's uh, the old MPB uh, parochial school right next to the church you're always welcome to come in and check it out it's you meet our kids you'll understand why yeah, and he's your brother-in-law, Bob Curry, who helped arrange our, yeah. our interview here, who, who's helping run it. But with you back in town, are you a little bit more involved now than, than maybe you weren't able to be during your, you know, the baseball season typically? Pretty much. I'm still a fundraiser as much as anything else right now. And uh, there's different things. Yeah, I'm involved. Uh, they don't need me, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, the place, you know, once you get a place up and running well, um, uh, it's good. It's good. I, yes, I do show up. I do, but they don't need me. They don't need me at all. They need me uh, to possibly, like we have golf tournaments in different ways to raise money. That's that's my primary um, job there right now. But the staff, Bob and Elaine, uh, Rosanna, the whole group inside is spectacular. They don't need me. We're doing some great work with that. You mentioned your 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 Twitter account or X or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, give, give that to us again for, for people who want to, again, be able to, to get to the podcast and, and listen to some of those episodes. It's at Mad Halos, right? It's that's what M A D D H A L O S at Mad. I need to change that, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> but when I got there with the angels, I changed it to Mad Halos. Um, so check it out um, at M A D D H A L O S at Mad Halos, and you'll see us uh, right there. 
Well, not with them currently, but you were with them a long time. Again, your your career throughout as a player, manager as well. So, uh, Joe, I can't thank you enough for spending a little time with us here today. Wish you the continued success in your your broadcasting career now, and uh, and and hopefully we we'll see you in a dugout at some point as well. Yeah, everything's wide open, brother. I'm um, I'm uh, I wake up every day in this beautiful, beautiful location that people pay a lot. Of, we paid a lot of money to go to Europe to see Austria and Germany and. And whatever, and I, I got it in my backyard right here. I look at the mountains every morning, and it's just it's wonderful. So I'm I'm very uh, I'm very pleased right here right now. You seem like it. Best of yeah, luck to you. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, buddy. Well, our thanks to Joe Madden for joining us here today, and a special thank you to Bob Curry with the Hazelton Integration Project for helping arrange that sit down. Be sure to follow Joe on his podcast, The Book of Joe, that he does weekly with Tom Verducci. As always, we thank you for watching and listening, and we invite you to like, to share, and to subscribe to our channels and our show as we continue to grow this and bring great guests to you. For JR Quitman, our creator, producer, and director, I'm Mike Vaccaro. We'll see you next week, another edition of In the Front Row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.